Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are In the NBA, which sliding team can turn things around before the postseason? Plus, breaking down the latest news in the NFL regarding the quarterback position. And the newest problem causing the MLB lockout to continue. It's episode 64 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. How's it going, everybody? Here on Thursday, March 10th, 2022, episode number 64 coming at you of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast. If you're watching us virtually on YouTube or just listening to us on your usual stroll or if you're killing some time on whatever podcast platform you got, including Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Around here in the Swampscott, Massachusetts area, we are getting close to daylight savings time, and it doesn't feel that way after last night with a little a minor snow system. It's already melted by this morning with the with the sun going out, so nothing too major. But hopefully, with daylight savings time, uh, losing an hour and getting some more sunlight, you know, gets you more and more excited for springtime. I know for me, it definitely gets very excited. And this weekend's going to be very exciting, at least for me. I'm going to be heading to the TD Garden for the Celtics-Mavericks game. Also get to see Kevin Garnett's jersey retirement. So I'll be back next week with a good report from that. But speaking of the NBA, that is how we're going to start as the playoffs are just around the corner. And honestly, this is really when the push to the postseason really kicks into high gear. You know, you're seeing a lot of teams who are really hot right now. I mean, you got the Celtics. Uh, the Grizzlies, the Phoenix Suns last night clinching a playoff spot with that win against Miami. But a lot of teams are taking a step backwards. And obviously for some preseason or early in the season expectations, that was not going to be the case. And this segment's all about diagnosing which team can really turn it around heading into the postseason. So all of these sort of losing streaks or you know tough stretches of games are going to be based on playoff teams. And I think the Brooklyn Nets have to be the obvious number one out of there. And it's, it's funny to see Brooklyn struggling the way they are considering, you know, what they've gotten back, you know, Kevin Durant is back on the court, but still they've lost 17 of their last 21 games. And honestly, when you ask me, it's, it's defense. Defense is the biggest problem. I mean, they're 22nd in the league in uh, opponents' points per game allowed. So I don't really see anyone on this team playing effective defense. I know Andre Drummond is a good center, and he's kind of a double-double guy, but in terms of a rim-protecting center or any kind of perimeter defense, I'm not really seeing it at this moment. The offensive end is absolutely no problem. I mean. Brooklyn's back to 500 thanks to Kyrie getting uh, 50 points against Charlotte. And Kevin Durant in his first two games back has scored 31 and 37 in those two games, 
in the those first two games back. And then he was a little limited. Obviously, you can be limited if you got Kyrie Irving putting up 50 like that. But they're still in eighth place right now. And that, that game was huge last night for uh, Brooklyn, considering Charlotte was literally nipping on their heels. Um, and they could have gone, you know, if they lost that game, they could have been in the ninth place. But they're still in eighth. They're right now just looking at it real quick, two and a half games back of Toronto for the seventh spot, that final play-in spot. And ultimately, that's how far I see this team going. That That's how far, I think, at least for the regular season, is at least getting to that seventh spot. Because honestly, Cleveland is five and a half up. And Cleveland would have to basically lose 80% of their games or even 90%. And Brooklyn would have to win 90% of their games to get out of the play-in uh, spot. So I don't really see that happening for Brooklyn. But in terms of where they are right now, I mean, they they have the roster makeup when they're fully healthy. I mean, you've got some great offense, but it's a matter of Steve Nash and that coaching staff getting everyone to play defense. And that's where Ben Simmons can help if he actually plays. I mean, it seems like the biggest mystery this entire season is when Ben Simmons when is Ben Simmons going to take the court? Because we still have no idea. We know he's sitting on the bench against the game in Philly. But if you're talking to mental health, you know, Philly fans are going to be basically raising hell tonight when uh, the Nets are in town and when he's on the bench. They're going to let him hear it, even though he probably doesn't deserve it. I'm one of those guys who thinks Ben Simmons was absolutely uh, wronged it, with the situation in the 76ers organization. But when he actually plays the court, this team can get better. So I'm not ready to count them out just yet as title contenders. Because, I mean, if they get into the play-in, they're probably going to see Milwaukee and Philly. And who knows if that uh, defense will get better and better. But if they don't, then these title aspirations that have gone on for maybe two years or so are just going to fly right out the window. Brooklyn is not going to have any chance of being a championship contender if they continue to play the way they are. But we'll see what happens. There's still plenty of games left to be played for Brooklyn. And hopefully, you know, Ben Simmons can return to the court and make things better. But, you know, similar to what the Nets are doing in the East, the West team under the same label right now has to be the Lakers. And I know it's getting kind of tiresome to talk about the Lakers because, I mean, it's, one of the most historic franchises, maybe the most historic franchise in the NBA. And here they are just bad. And I mean bad. They're 28 and 37. They're in the ninth spot right now in the play-in. And there were a lot of people thinking, hey, maybe LeBron scoring 56 against the Golden State Warriors last Saturday night can turn things around. But no, they've lost nine of their last 11, including an overtime loss to the Rockets. Houston's the last team in the Western Conference. They're the worst team. They have the worst record, and they lost to them in overtime. So similar to Brooklyn, it's defense. No one plays defense on that team, and especially when you look at the lineup that they have. You know, I mentioned last week that they're just old and tiresome, but just mostly, you know, no one plays D. And the the way the lineup is uh, constructed, you know, the center spot, is, is a big lack, is a big lack in terms of defense. I mean, you look at the second unit, essentially, when you have 
Carmelo Anthony and Taylor Horton Tucker, those guys. And then you put LeBron at uh, the center spot at the number five spot. You know him. He's a very passive aggressive defender. He just turns it on when he wants to be. And I think that similar to what Simmons does for the Nets, Anthony Davis does for the Lakers. So maybe when AD comes back, that defense can get better. But even with him on the court, they still continue to struggle. Obviously, Westbrook, I'm not putting, you know, I keep saying it every time we talk about LA, that the struggles for the Lakers are not solely based on Russell Westbrook. I know he has struggled, but it is not his sole reason for why they struggle. It is just the roster construction. You know, Westbrook's style of play just doesn't fit with LeBron or Anthony Davis. And then all the moves that they made of a bunch of old 30-year-old guys just don't work. So I don't really see this team turning it around as much. I think it's it's a definite lock that they get into the play-in. And I can't even say if they're going to get out of that considering who they'd have to play. Because right now, they'd be playing New Orleans. And the way the Pelicans' offense has been, I don't know if they can win that game if the season were to end. I don't know if they can beat them with the kind of defense that they have. So not a lot of hope for the Lakers. And hopefully this is the last time we have to talk about the Lakers because everyone wants to talk about they stink. They're old. What is going on? And then when one good thing happens, everyone's going to say, they're back, they're back. They're done. I will not count out LeBron James, though. I'm never going to say that they're absolutely done and they can't make any noise, but championship contenders, absolutely not. I, I really just don't see it. I don't see it with this Lakers team, even if they get out of the play-in. I don't see them beating Phoenix in a seven-game series or Memphis in a seven-game series or even Golden State in a seven-game series. So I'm not counting out LeBron James and the Lakers, but all signs are pointing to they are done. That's how I sort of see L.A. right now. But going back to the Eastern Conference, I want to talk about the Chicago Bulls. I mean, the Bulls were early on in the year maybe the most surprising team in the NBA uh, with the way they skyrocketed to number one in the Eastern Conference. But in the last couple of games, they've dropped from near the top, you know, that first or second spot, to now they're sitting in fourth right now, only a half game up on the Celtics for that uh, four spot in the Eastern Conference. And they had a five-game losing streak broken last night, thankfully, with a big comeback in Detroit against the Pistons. And I think it's a combination of two things. Two things for this Bulls team. It's injuries and uh, the schedule. Because I think everyone knows how many pieces this team has been missing. Lonzo Ball still out. Alice Caruso still out. Patrick Williams has been out for almost the whole year. And there are some signs that a few of them can are close to returning to practice at least. But we know the kind of injuries that this team has had, the ability to juggle the lineups. And they've still been good, but... They've gone into basically a buzzsaw stretch. In uh, five of the last six games consecutively, they've played the Grizzlies, uh, the Heat, the Hawks, the Bucks, and the 76ers. Those are five very good teams. You know, I know Atlanta's sitting 10th right now and is below 500, but they're still a dangerous team. Um, but what I think the end game is for Chicago and what gives them um, that past success is DeMar DeRozan. I think he's the ultimate X factor. 
I mean, look at the hot streak that he had when he was scoring 35 and 40 in like six straight games. They had won six straight games uh, a short time ago when DeRozan was on that hot streak. Now, uh, during the five-game losing streak, he's only cracked 30 points once. It's been a lot of 22, 23, 24. Uh, but then when you look at last night's win against Detroit, he scored 36. So when you see it on the court, the combination of him and Zach Levine both playing at their best are one of the more unstoppable duos in the NBA that we've seen so far in the regular season. So I do think that Chicago can turn turn things around and they can make a lot of noise in the postseason. I guess it really depends on, you know, who their opponent might be. You know, I don't know if I trust them against the 76ers or the Bucks or maybe even the Miami Heat. Not 100% sure on that. But this is a team, when healthy, are one of the best teams in the conference. For as wide open as the East is, the Bulls have been a certain thing. And once they get a fully healthy lineup and DeMar DeRozan continues to be an MVP candidate, then Chicago can get back into things. So I do think they can turn it around. And one other team I do think can turn it around is uh, the Golden State Warriors. Because let's face it, they have been sliding from the top. They were basically in a deadlock with Phoenix for the top of the Western Conference. And then ever since Draymond Green got hurt and he hasn't played, they have been tumbling and tumbling. And now they're nine games, nine games back of Phoenix for the top spot in the West. They're a half game back of Memphis for number two. And they've only got two and a half up on Utah for that number three spot. And the it's it's simple to why Golden State has struggled. It's been the absence of Draymond Green. You look at their record when Green got hurt, they were 29 and eight. And since then, they've been 15 and 14. And similar to Chicago, they had a losing streak broken uh, just a few nights ago. They had a five-game losing streak and they've lost five of their last six. Um, the obvious answer, as I said, is the absence of Draymond Green. But you have to look at what else the lineup is doing. Steph Curry isn't uh, being that lights-out shooter that we normally have seen in the past. I mean, he's shooting a career-worst 43% from the field and only 37% from three. And then when you look behind him, Clay Thompson has been out for a couple of games and he isn't scoring the way most people have expected. Andrew Wiggins hasn't cracked 20 points since January 31st. Uh, Kevon Looney is the only center that they have. And the bench isn't really providing uh, some scoring depth, maybe outside of Jordan Poole. So I think this team does turn it around when Green gets back on the floor. He's a huge difference maker. Not many players, when you see them out of the lineup and come back into the lineup, will have a big effect as Draymond does. I mean, he's a strong defender. He's a great facilitator. And he sets great screens off the ball, which is why you see guys like Clay Thompson and Steph Curry be, be able to move so well uh, without the ball in their hands. It's all because of Draymond. So I fully expect when Green comes back onto the floor that this team will get better. They will get better. And right now, I see them firmly locked in at least the top four. Um, I, I fully expect it because, let's face it, you don't count out Steph Curry, just like you don't count out LeBron James. You don't count out these kinds of players because of how effective they are. But we are hitting the month of March. The home stretch of the regular season is coming down to the wire and it'll only be a matter of time till the postseason for the NBA gets underway. 
moving on to the NFL, and it has already been a very hectic offseason. I mean, we have one big trade, then a follow-up trade after that, and of course, uh, the big uh, money extension from Aaron Rodgers. And this segment for the NFL is dedicated solely to the quarterback position. And of course, the three big news from this past week has been Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Carson Wentz. And we'll start with Aaron Rodgers, of course, a saga that's been going on for over a year now. He said he's unhappy in Green Bay. He wanted out. Then he comes back. And now the situation hopefully is dead and gone as Aaron Rodgers is now the highest paid player in NFL history. A four-year, $200 million deal with $153 million Guaranteed. Now, for those of you wanting to do the quick math, four years, 200 million, that's $50 million a year. A year. That's more than Patrick Mahomes. That's more than Josh Allen. That's more than anybody in NFL history. So, for all you future football players, be a quarterback because there's no way anyone else is going to get that kind of money. But to talk about the situation within itself, it was a lot of back and forth over the year. I give a nice little golf clap to Green Bay for mending what seemed like a broken relationship a year ago. You had Aaron Rodgers coming out saying, I don't know what's going on here. Maybe I don't deserve to be here. And he said publicly that he doesn't want to be a part of it. And the Packers have done everything, everything in their will to make amends with Aaron Rodgers. In today's uh, day and age, you, you, when you hear players saying, I'm not happy, I want to trade, most uh, organizations will grant it. You know, it's different from maybe 10 or 15 years ago as compared to now. When an athlete says they want out, the organization grants it. You know, look at the uh, James Harden situation, the Ben Simmons situation, stuff like that. Green Bay was against that. They threw everything at Aaron Rodgers to keep him in a Packers uniform, and they they started off on a good note. They sat down, they mended it, uh, they brought back some familiar faces. You know, they had one of his favorite receivers come back during the year. Then they get the number one seed, even though they have the early exit. And Aaron Rodgers, you know, aside from what people might think about the money, I do think it was kind of a little bit hard because when you play at Lambeau Field, the, the Packers uh, fan base is one of the most passionate fan bases in the NFL and for a guy like Aaron Rodgers who might uh, concern himself with public perception, you know, that isn't, that's huge for him. If he's saying I want out, that could put him in a bad, bad state. And sure enough, he says, I'll stay. And the Packers are once again, loyal to him. And he's got maybe four more years in a Packers uniform, but honestly, green Bay just did it because they didn't have a backup plan. They saw what Jordan love was when Rodgers was out. He's not the guy they're finding out. So I got a feeling that Jordan Love is not going to be in a Packers uniform uh, for quite a bit of time or at least be a starter. Um, he's going to be the backup for a long time. And Green Bay now has, you know, it's kind of like a light at the end of the tunnel for preparing for the end of Aaron Rodgers. Because let's face it, when the contract is over, he's going to be 41. You know, if he goes the full four years. You know, contrary to what Drew Brees and Tom Brady have been able to do, it'd be hard for Aaron Rodgers to continue that high level of play at 41. So Green Bay now has sort of a four-year window to set themselves up for life 
after Aaron Rodgers because they didn't have a backup plan then. So it's good that they got him now. And obviously now they're free to do whatever they want. You know, they give the tag to Devontae Adams because let's face it, there was no way he was getting separated from Rodgers no matter where he went. So good job by Green Bay to hold on to Aaron Rodgers. And basically, you know, he's basically going to be sort of in a Tom Brady position of want, of being a big influence on, you know, offseason acquisitions and the draft, you know, stuff like that. So maybe he'll be more involved. But for Rodgers specifically, like I said, public perception to him is huge. And now that, you know, the saga of uh, should I stay or should I go, to quote a very famous song, um, it's time for him to do some image reconstruction because let's face it, he got on you know, the bad side of a lot of people, you know, with his comments and demands to the organization to saying he was immunized and then talking all this COVID crap, uh, appearing on the Pat McAfee show. I think the, the time is now for Aaron Rodgers to kind of reconstruct him, uh, his image, you know, maybe that involves more state farm commercials or being more involved in the green Bay community, you know, who knows what's going to happen? But I think the big winner is both sides because Green Bay holds on to Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers gets to be the highest played player in NFL history and make $50 million a year. So again, golf clap to the Packers organization for getting through that absolute mess. But maybe the second biggest mess had to be Russell Wilson in Seattle for maybe the past year or so. We heard it in the offseason last season saying, you know, I want to stay, but if I want to be traded, these are the teams I'm going to. And now we know the Seahawks career for Russell Wilson is over. He's going to the team that he beat when he won his only Super Bowl, and that's the Denver Broncos. And what a haul it was for Denver to get Russell Wilson in a Broncos uniform. Denver gave up Drew Locke, Noah Fant, Shelby Harris, two first round, two second round, and a fifth round pick just to grab Russell Wilson. Now, before we get into uh, the Denver side of things deeply, I'll just say Noah Fant is a big loss for Denver. Uh, last season, he had 68 catches, almost 700 yards, and four touchdowns. That's a big tight end play right there. Now, to go onto the Russell Wilson side of things, I did kind of expect him to be traded, but I didn't think it was going to be this soon this soon that they say okay let's let's trade him now I would have thought it would have been maybe post draft or a little bit closer to the draft you know not the beginning of March and essentially what we saw last year with Matthew Stafford is this year with Russell Wilson and ultimately I think this was Denver's plan B I think they had a couple of plans and set I think plan A for them was getting Aaron Rodgers if Rodgers said I want out Denver would have been right on plan B, which they did was Russell Wilson. And then plan C could have been maybe Deshaun Watson or possibly the draft or something like that. So this is basically Denver's plan B that has gone into full effect. And the debate is now on for where does Denver rank in the AFC? Cause you got to remember last year, they went seven and 10 going back and forth with Teddy Bridgewater and drew Locke as a quarterback and everyone said that this team has the talent. They've got two great running backs in Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. Then you have great weapons like Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, 
Tim Patrick. You've got a defense that's rising, including uh, Patrick Sertan, who they drafted last year. It, it's hard to say where Denver is going to be. I think, first off, uh, re-signing Melvin Gordon should be a priority. The question is, does he want to continue splitting time with Javante Williams? Because it's almost like a 1A, 1B situation with those two running backs. You know, does Melvin Gordon want to continue on that path or does he want to be the standout number one running back on another team? Now, I can't say I can't say if there will be instant success for the Broncos just because the division now is so tight. It's probably going to overtake the NFC West as the toughest division in the NFL. You got Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, Justin Herbert and the Chargers, and Derek Carr and the Raiders. They're still in there. And then you add Russell Wilson and the Broncos. I mean, this is going to be a tough, tough division to predict. Do I think Denver's going to get better? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that just that AFC just gets tighter when you have uh, the Dolphins and the Patriots on the rise. You still have contenders like the Bills, uh, and you know, the Ravens are going to get better. Um, a bunch of other teams, the Titans, the Colts are going to get better. You think they're it, the AFC is stacked, absolutely stacked. So I can't say if it's going to be instant success for Denver, but I do like the move that Denver made to grab Russell, Russell Wilson. I think they do get better, but I can't say if they're automatically Super Bowl contenders, I can't say it just yet. But on the other side of things for Seattle, I think everyone knows now for sure this is going to be a definite rebuild for the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, they released Bobby Wagner as well in the defensive end, so it's going to be a whole restart. They pushed the restart button up there in Seattle. And the good news for the Seahawks is entering the draft before the move, they didn't have a draft pick in the first round. Now they've got the number nine pick that Denver had, and I got a feeling it's going to be a quarterback because there's no way if you told me that Drew Locke or Geno Smith was going to be the Seahawks starting quarterback by week one, I would have said they better have struck out in free agency or not gotten any results in the draft. So this number nine pick that they have is going to be a quarterback. We'll see what Seattle does with that pick, but it was time for a rebuild and the Seahawks have gone head first, diving on in, and they're just going to suffer. They're going to suffer. And it might be a while until the Seahawks get back to sort of that Legion of Boom uh, to Super Bowl appearance team that uh, they were a couple of years ago. So we'll see how both teams do, Denver and Seattle, now with the trade official. But the last quarterback move that was made was Carson Wentz, as I mentioned. Once again, Wentz finds a new home as the Washington Commanders have made a trade with Indy as the Colts get two second rounders and a third round pick from Washington for Carson Wentz. Now I said this all the way back uh, before wildcard week, you know, talking about the last of the regular season, Carson Wentz is done as an effective quarterback. Okay. This is going to be a bridge guy for Washington because he's always injured in the last two seasons. He's gone 12, 15 and one. Now everyone's going to say, Oh, what about the numbers? I know he put up great numbers a year ago with Indy, 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions. And we know, similar to the Colts, that Washington has these great weapons on offense like Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson and Logan Thomas. But is Carson Wentz going to be that leadership guy 
to utilize him, okay? It's leadership skills and clutch moments that remain open for discussion. You go back to the game against the Titans where he just basically threw a lob in his own end zone for an easy pick six. And you go back to the last game of the regular season where they put up a dud against Jacksonville with the playoffs on the line. I mean, those last two games against the Raiders and the Jags, they just had to win one. They just had to win one. They would have gotten into the playoffs and Wentz wasn't able to do that. So does Washington do better? Maybe, but I don't, I don't see Carson Wentz as being effective anymore. This isn't a guy where you make the move and you say, oh, they're automatically going to the playoffs. They're automatically uh, the top team in that division. They're not. This, everyone said it's desperation for making this move, and ultimately it is. Because who thought they were going to get Aaron Rodgers? Who thought they were going to get Russell Wilson? No, this has been plan D, essentially. You know, reports are coming out. They sent three first-rounders to the Seahawks, and even Russell Wilson said he didn't want to play in Washington. Smart move by him. So Carson Wentz is now the guy. He's the guy for the commanders. And I, I don't see any big change going on in Washington. I don't see a big change. You know, they're not going to be the worst team in the division. You know, maybe they're the second worst ahead of the Giants. But for the move that they made, it, it was desperation because they had nowhere else to turn to. And maybe they just didn't trust the quarterback class in the draft. So, I mean, it's only March and the NFL offseason has been hectic. Just wait until we get deep into free agency. Now, of course, we have our usual headlines taking place, but there have been a lot of sub-headlines to talk about. So let's dive into our usual segment, Quick Hits. So, of course, one of the big stories outside of the NBA NFL is the MLB as they cancel yet another set of games. Two more series have been canceled, not postponed, but canceled by the owners with a deal still yet to be agreed upon. And it seems like it's a new problem every single time. You think when they're getting close, they just get farther and farther apart. And the problem that we're seeing now in recent days is the international draft to, to a draft pick compensation uh, relationship. And ultimately... I, I'm not going to act like an expert I know about the international draft and draft pick and all that, but what I'm hearing is, you know, they want an international draft. Some players don't want it. Um, and if they if they eliminate it, that means draft pick compensation would go through the roof. Honestly, I, I'm not going to be an expert, but the owners and players just don't care enough about the game to get a deal done. And honestly, these games can get rescheduled and canceling seems a little crazy, you know, to side with the players on that side of things. But in terms of both sides, okay, they don't care enough to get it as fast as possible. If they say, oh, we care about the game, we care about the fans. Like I said last week, they would have gotten a deal done back in January, not waiting till now to see a bunch of spring training games get canceled and to see some regular season games get canceled, okay? This deal is going to happen with both sides not being happy, okay? Learning to live with it is the biggest problem that these 
sides have. The owners want their way. The players want their way. The overall aspect is that no one's going to get their way, okay? There are some things that are going to be good for them and some that are not. Learn to live with it, okay? That's why I continue to say that Rob Manfred is the biggest clown in sports because this shouldn't have gotten that far anyway. But aside from him, the owners and the players need to just put their foot in their mouth, get their head out of their ass, and make a deal to get the MLB lockout to an end. But going back to the NFL, let's talk about Calvin Ridley. Earlier in the week, it was announced that Falcons receiver was suspended for the whole 2022 season for gambling. And the couple of notes that we're getting is that he used FanDuel in a five-day stretch in November while he was away from the team. Because, of course, if you remember, he stepped away to take care of his mental health. Um, There was a five-day stretch where he bet on NFL games that included his own team in Atlanta. And this is a really slippery slope, you know, talking about athletes and gambling. But before I talk about that, what he said on Twitter was absolutely foolish. He tweeted out that he only spent $1,500 and that he doesn't have a gambling problem. That's one of the situations where you just got to keep your mouth shut and don't say anything. Wait until the investigation is like fully sold and don't defend yourself on Twitter. You know, come out into the public, have a press conference or something like that. Now, in talking about the gambling aspect and betting with the NFL, um, as I said, it's a slippery slope, but my theory is that athletes should be allowed to bet and to gamble but just not within their own sport because this is a different day and age it's not a situation like pete rose where he was you know a player and a manager and he was betting on games you know you look in the entire country gambling is legal in most states so if you're asking fans or you're telling fans hey you can gamble and athletes can't gamble that's that's really tricky that's really tricky so If Calvin Ridley bet on, you know, MLB games or NBA games, that would be okay with me. But the fact that he went on NFL games while the season was still going on, that's that's a bad sign. That's a really bad sign. But hopefully this opens up a lot of eyes to uh, people in the sports world to set to normalize gambling and letting athletes, you know, be able to make bets just as long as they're not within their own sport. Back to the NBA, though, there's a big return to the court from injury, and that is Victor Oladipo. Oladipo, after being out for nearly a year, is back on the court with the Miami Heat, and he returned Monday after his second surgery for that horrible uh, torn quad tendon that he suffered during his time with the Pacers and I just really wanted to talk about the impact that he's going to have. Now, he's probably going to be a utility off the bench for Miami as they get closer and closer to the playoffs. But imagine this Heat team when their lineup is fully healthy, okay? Look at where they are right now. They're 44 and 23, first in the Eastern Conference, and they've had a ton of players in and out of the lineup because of injury, okay? Last night, they didn't have Jimmy Butler in that loss against Phoenix, and I ultimately call that an outlier. But just think of the team that went fully healthy. Jimmy Butler, Duncan Robinson, Kyle Lowry, Bam Adebayo, and Adebayo, excuse me, P.J. Tucker, Tyler Hero off the bench, 
Victor Oladipo off the bench. They have a ton of weapons, a ton of weapons. They've got probably seven guys who could make an all NBA team. And you got to remember Oladipo when he's 100% is a 20 points per game scorer. So if you're getting that kind of offense off the bench or surrounding all the weapons that Miami has, this is a team to take seriously. I know that Milwaukee and Philly are on the rise and Boston's on the rise. But Miami has been in number one. They've been at the top of the East for a long time now. So keep your eyes open down in South Beach. How effective this Miami team can be now with a former All-Star in Victor Oladipo fully in their rotation. Switching to the NHL, I want to talk about Austin Matthews here. Let me tell you over the last couple of games, Austin Matthews has been that young prodigy and he's just getting better and better. He's had a stretch of games that have been absolutely impressive. The Toronto forward has scored six goals in the last three games, including a hat trick last Tuesday against Seattle. And when you look at the numbers, he's currently the league leader in goals with 43 and he's got five on Leon Dreisaitl and Chris Crater in the league. He's fourth in the league uh, with 75 points on the year. And ultimately, the Leafs are going to need every single bit of it with uh, them nipping on the heels of Tampa and with Boston coming up from behind. I mean, they've won five of their last seven games, but they're still only five points up on Boston. Uh, and they're only two points behind Tampa for second in the Atlantic. So they could see themselves right now third place in the division, second place in the division, or in that very first wild card spot. And I think it starts with Austin Matthews. How effective is he going to be when the postseason hits? Because let's face it, Toronto had the expectations. Look at what they did last season against Montreal, and they totally crapped the bed. They crapped the bed. And it starts and ends with Austin Matthews. How effective is he going to be when Toronto hits the postseason? Because if they get this kind of goal scoring, then Toronto is going to be a tough team to beat. And lastly, sticking with the NHL, we got a legacy to talk about. One of the greats that are still playing right now, Alex Ovechkin. And I know everyone wants to talk about, you know, Ovechkin and uh, his stance with the Russia-Ukraine invasion, stuff like that. But I want to talk about what he's doing on the ice because that should be applauded. Two goals last Tuesday has now tied him with Yamir Yager, the ageless wonder, for third all-time in careers, career goals scored in the NHL. They both got 766 goals in his career. And they're still behind Gordy Howe with 801 and Wayne Gretzky with 894. And not only is the legacy impressive, but what he's doing currently is amazing to see what he's doing at such a big age. 36 goals on the year, fourth in the league. Washington firmly in a playoff spot in that wild card. Uh, second wild card currently right now. Big gap right now on uh, Detroit. And it's just amazing to see what Ovechkin has done at 36 years old, the effective goal scorer that he is and the way he sort of carried this Washington team. I know they're not, you know, Stanley Cup contenders or whatever, but the fact they're still in the playoffs with Ovechkin skating at a high level at 36 years old, you know, this is normally the time in the NHL where guys kind of start to fall back and aren't as effective. But being the high profile goal scorer that he is at this age, 
very, very impressive. And the Capitals are not a team uh, that you want to sleep on. This Capitals team can do some damage when it comes to postseason time. And the NHL is a great spot to do it because we've seen a bunch of lower team, lower tier teams, lower seeded teams have some big Stanley Cup runs. So Washington can totally do that. But it's just amazing to see how effective Ovechkin has been at this stage in his career. And he will go down as a top five player in NHL history. I firmly believe that now that he is tied for third uh, in goals. And there's still a chance he could catch Wayne Gretzky. He's definitely going to catch Gordie Howe, I think, if he continues this. But there's a chance he could catch Gretzky. Uh, but just just for me, now that he's tied for third, he'll eventually get into third by himself, I think. I think he's got himself now into a top five of all time. I, I really do believe that the way Ovechkin has played. So congrats to Ovi for continuing to add to his legacy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is this week's edition of Quick Hits. time of the show to get local it's time for our let's get local segment of the week and everyone in the city of boston has been talking about last sunday and the incredible matchup at the td garden between the celtics and the nets and i hate to say it because i still don't want to you know take the take the bait or whatever but i do think championship contenders are what the celtics are turning into you know the past couple of games getting a win versus brooklyn and then traveling to charlotte you know, look at where they are right now. They're 40 and 27, fifth in the Eastern Conference, only a half game back of the Bulls for the fourth spot. And they've got a comfortable gap from the play in spot. They're four and a half up right now on Toronto, who sits in the number seven spot. They have won 15 of their last 17 games. So it's hard to say that, you know, it, it's hard to doubt them anymore. It's hard, it's hard to doubt them for being championship contenders. Cause I mean, no team is playing better than them. No team. You look around the rest of the league. No one is as hot or as strong or effective on both ends of the floor. as the Celtics have been basically in the calendar year. And we're seeing guys play at their max potential. You know, you got guys like Robert Williams, who's leading the league in blocks. You got Marcus smart. Who's getting into the top five in steals. Um, but of course, everyone's talking Jason Tatum, everyone's talking Jason Tatum and what he's done the past couple of games, um, to see clutch time improving, especially against the Nets and KD has been so much fun to watch. I mean, come on, 54 points against two of the greatest players possibly in league history and Durant and Kyrie Irving. Unreal, unreal 54 against Brooklyn, following that up with 44 last night against Charlotte and what blows my mind is for the amount of history that the Celtics team has through all the 17 championships there's only two players right now who has the who have the most uh 50 point games in Celtics team history that is Larry Bird and Jason Tatum and they've got four so I ultimately expect Tatum to get another 50 point game at some point in his career and surpass Larry Bird. And 
you know, it's so cliche, but if you're mentioned in the same sentence as Larry Bird, you're doing something right. And to see what Tatum has done in this last stretch of game, the way he's been able to mature, you got to remember, he's only 24 years old. So he's still got at least five more years of excellent play, maybe even 10, 10 years of that. So to see what Tatum has done, you know, he's got himself to eighth in the league in scoring at 26 and a half. And look at what he's done so far in the month of March. Uh, month of March. I have uh, did these numbers. He's averaging 41 points a game, 41 points. He's shooting 52 and a half percent from the field and over 40 and a half percent from three. So this guy is hot. If you want to do the math real quick, it's 168 points total in the month of March. 168. And a lot of people are saying, oh, he's the MVP now. He's got to get in the conversation. I do think he's maybe like a top five guy right now. I ultimately think Joel Embiid right now is the MVP favor, but you still got a bunch of other guys. You got the Greek freak Giannis. You got the Joker. You got Ja, DeRozan. You know, there's a bunch of great weapons. Um, I do think Tatum can be an MVP candidate in his career, but just the way I see him right now, the, the way he's playing and what he's doing with this team, right now I put him in the category of Luka Doncic right now, in the category of superstars, because everyone knows he can put up great numbers. He makes difficult shots, but we haven't seen postseason success. We haven't seen it yet. We know that he's a great young talent, uh, both these guys, Tatum and Doncic, but we need to see how they lead their team entering the postseason. You know, for for Tatum, he's far more ahead than Doncic right now because Luca's only been in the year uh, in the league for about you know four years, but he has yet to win a playoff series. So, and for Tatum, he's already been to the conference finals uh, twice. So, to, Tatum's obviously a few steps ahead, but in terms of the category of superstars, I'd say right now they're pretty much parallel. And whatever happens in the postseason is ultimately, I think, going to move that needle for Tatum. If he comes out and he is this high-profile scorer in the postseason, you know, if he leads this team to postseason success uh, into a series or two wins, gets them to the conference finals or something like that, then the narrative might change a little bit and we'll say, oh, this team is starting to gel. They found their core. They found their rotation. Because we've talked about it for weeks and weeks and weeks that smart playing better at the point guard is more effective. Uh, strong defense. Robert Williams down low. Al Horford. Jalen Brown, obviously. But the engine of this team is Jason Tatum. If he is scoring at this rate, along with the defense the whole team has been playing, then this team is hard to beat. They're hard to beat right now. But I do want to see, you know, the Nets win is big, is great. And the Grizzlies win is great. But there's still just a couple of things I want to see, you know, from this Celtics team. I do think they're contenders, championship contenders. But I just want to see, you know, I'm just looking really quickly at uh, the next set of games. I've got the uh, Sunday matinee against Dallas, which I said I'll be going to. I want to see how they do against Milwaukee near the end of the year. I want to see how they do against Miami. I want to see what they do against Utah. You know, there are still a couple of games that are really going to say a lot for me heading into the postseason because you're still hoping that the team hasn't peaked out already. 
But the good news is that when you've got Tatum, who's scoring at an incredibly high rate, all you got to do is just give it up to Jalen Brown. And luckily, Brown only missed one game, which they won uh, against Memphis. Um, you know, you get a guy like Jalen Brown. He can take over the offense. Um, or you get guys like Grant Williams coming off the bench who looks very strong. You get a nice low presence by Robert Williams, which, by the way, I think Rob Williams might be a defensive player of the year. He could be. Very well could be. We'll have to see. But I am just enjoying the stretch of play that the Celtics have done so far. It's it's hard to just not analyze and just enjoy it. And it's going to be fun to watch them uh, in person this Sunday at the Garden, taking on Dallas. And then, you know, the other games they got. This Friday, they got Detroit. And then they go on a West Coast trip uh, for four games. That includes the Warriors, the Kings, the Nuggets, and the Thunder. So we'll see if the Celtics can continue to get that. And who knows how high they could get in the Eastern Conference. They might even get themselves to number three or number two if they continue to roll the way they are. But for right now, they are championship uh, contenders, you know. We'll just see what they do. We'll see what they do. But a team that still probably needs some work into becoming championship contenders are the Bruins. And they came back home. They've continued to roll. But, geez, that game against L.A. was not fun to watch. I mean, let, let's look at the positives. First off is that they went 5-1 and one on their six-game road trip. Could have been 6-0 and oh if not for some really bad mistakes against Anaheim. And the good news is that they have scored a point in nine of their last 11 games. But, you know, I want to talk about the game against L.A., against the Kings. This was a team that a week ago had beat them 7 to nothing in L.A., in L.A. And now this Bruins team has a 2-1 lead with 26 seconds left to go. They give it up on a 6-on-5, and then they allow a breakaway for the game winner. Now, again, positive is that they still grabbed a point, but it could have been two instead of one. And just this is the problem that they're they're dealing right now is just the, you know, disadvantages. You know, I don't want to say totally like penalty kill, um, but that is struggling as well. They've only got a success rate on the penalty kill of 60 percent. And if you count the uh, six on five situation against the Kings, there's six of 11 on the disadvantages. So it's kind of that that kill style of play. That, that's really been struggling. And then it's defense off of the puck drop. You know, that continues to struggle. So it, it's a matter of out of the puck drop, even if you lose the faceoff, you know, getting back on D and being able to uh, lock down and not give up these game tying or these game winning goals like we saw against Anaheim or we saw against LA. So that's got to get better. That defense has to get better. And crunch time defense is going to be something really to watch for on this three-game homestand, they've got Chicago, uh, well, including L.A. It's then Chicago and Arizona, and then they go back on the road uh, for another long trip uh, for four games. But, again, back to the positives for the Bruins. I like the new acquisitions, how, they're, how they've been able to find their roles as we're getting later on into the year. Eric Halla on the first and second line has been doing well. Nick Foligno uh, giving some depth on that fourth line has been very, very good to watch. And, you know, I say I say it over and over and over that defense is the problem for this Bruins team and why they're not, you know, so high up there in the ranks or as Stanley Cup contenders. And that's because uh, their defense has to get better. You know, they don't have a ton of defensive depth. Um, we know they have the scoring, but it's a matter of getting some depth behind 
uh, McAvoy and Carlo and getting this team healthy. So I do think this Bruins team is still effective. You know, they're still a good team and they're still scoring the points. That's the good thing is that they're salvaging these points. You know, that's the key to a good team is that you salvage your bad days. And that's what this team is doing. And what's great about this Bruins team is that all these mistakes that they're making, if they clean them up, they can be a very dangerous team. You know, look at where they would be if they got the full two points against the Kings and then the two points against Anaheim if uh, McAvoy doesn't make that uh, costly hooking penalty. You have to look at it that way, you know, if you're on the, the bright side of things, which I, for one, like to see. I like to see the bright side of things for the Bruins, and I still think they're a good team. I don't think, you know, sky is falling, sky is falling, but we'll have to see how the Bruins attack this next stretch of games because Chicago, not the greatest team. Arizona clearly stinks, absolutely stinks. So these should be blowout victories, these next couple of games, and I hope they are because I'll be coming back here next week talking about how things have turned around for the Boston Bruins on the ice and for head coach Bruce Cassidy. But those are the teams that have been on the court on the ice. Let's talk about some offseason moves. Obviously, we talked about the Patriots last week. Um, we talked about the franchise tag and talking about J.C. Jackson. There have been a couple moves made already for New England as the franchise tag deadline has passed. Kyle Van Noy was released at the linebacker position. That saves about $5 million in cap space. And ultimately, I did kind of see this coming, not specifically with Kyle Van Noy, but I knew there was going to be someone who was going to be on the chopping block to get some kind of cap space. And linebacker is a big position for this Patriots team. They have to get younger and faster. And who knows that's with uh, Cameron McGrone, who missed a lot of last year. If uh, Josh, Josh Uche is able to be healthy or uh, Ronnie Perkins, you know, guys like that. But I did kind of see a release of Van Noy. Totally expected. But of course, the big news is that J.C. Jackson did not receive the franchise tag, and he's officially an unrestricted free agent. And he's already getting a ton of calls out there from a lot of teams that are cornerback heavy. And we've heard from, you know, his own mouth that he wants Jalen Ramsey money. And, you know, that's going to be roughly $20 million a year. Now, I don't think he's that kind of quarterback. You know, he's not a shutdown cornerback who's going to garner $20 million a year. I think the 15 to 20 is a range, you know, not 20, but just lower than that, you know, maybe 17 or 18 or whatever the tag was worth, whatever that franchise tag was going to be worth. Now, unless Bill Belichick, I've said this before, unless Bill Belichick has a plan, this guy needs to be re-signed. He needs to stay in a Patriots uniform. Cause when you look, you know, not only do you look at the team's depth, but you look in free agency as well. There's not really a number one cornerback that you can say, Hey, let's go grab him. And he can be our shutdown guy. We'll put him on the Stefan Diggs, on the Tyreek Hills on the big receivers. And I, I just don't see it. I don't see it in free agency. I don't see it on this depth chart. You know, you're telling Jalen Mills and Joan Williams and Miles Bryant to really just step up their roles. I don't see that. I don't see that. One of the problems this team needs to address in the offseason is getting better defensively. And I think that starts and ends with having J.C. Jackson as a cornerback. You know, is he a shutdown guy? No, but he's a ball hawk. He's one of the better ball hawks this league has. You keep him under your roof 
then your defense is going to get better. Is going to get better without a doubt. So if Jackson walks and he's not with this New England team, then Bill Belichick's in trouble. This coaching staff is in trouble. The way this defense is, they're going to get eaten alive in the pass game. They're going to get eaten alive if they don't make any kind of improvements at all. And I, I hate to say it, but I just feel like I've got, I've got like a weird feeling that someone's going to throw a lot of money at Jackson to leave New England. And I think Jackson is, is one of those guys who's going to take the money. And, you know, he's going to try, not necessarily bet on himself, but he's just going to, you know, secure whatever he's got and whatever he's earned. And if he falls off, he's still got that money. That's where I kind of see JC Jackson. So I see a, a team that might be, you know, not as great as New England, try and throw a ton of, a ton of money at him, like maybe a Seattle or a Jacksonville or any some some team like that, you know, they're gonna they're gonna throw some money at him. So I'm not I'm I don't have the greatest feeling that Jackson will return to the Patriots, but who knows? It's still early in the offseason. There's still plenty of things that can happen uh, before training camp gets underway. But in the city of Boston, as always, people and fans expect success, and we'll see if every single team in the Boston area can achieve it. to end our show as we always do we look at our lol moment of the week and like i said last week we've got a fun interactive event coming out next week it's going to start once the march madness brackets are set so be on the lookout for our social media pages on instagram and facebook again you can look search for it using let me speak underscore official and that will get you engaged and maybe have a little bit of fun but Back into our LOL moment. This one is not necessarily an athlete. We're going into the celebrity category for our LOL. So this week's LOL moment of the week is going to Will Ferrell, the very acclaimed comedian and actor, has gotten himself involved in the sports world yet again. If you missed it earlier in the week, he brought back one of his iconic characters, from the movie Semi-Pro, Jackie Moon took the court for the Golden State Warriors pregame. And it wasn't, you know, this little spinoff or whatever where he was just having a lot of fun. He was fully engaged in pregame shooting and all these routines. There's a video where he's teaching uh, Steph Curry how to shoot free throws. You know, he's doing the Rick Barry style and he made it. And then right after Steph Curry makes his free throw. But of course, the highlight had to be making that uh, half-court shot off the glass. I mean, this is a Warriors team known for long shots and half-court shots. And Will Ferrell's just getting involved. He made the bank shot, and he got – that was the highlight for it. And what was funny about watching the videos was Clay Thompson's reaction because a lot of people, you know, see Clay Thompson as very emotionless. Um, he's got, you know, this sort of stoic poker face. And – um, he was just the most surprised and basically the most in awe of uh, Will Ferrell when he came out onto the court. And you even heard it in the pro, uh, post game after the game 
is that he admires him so much. And he did, if you remember, about uh, three years ago, modeled the Jackie Moon uh, before a game. He had the, the full-fledged uni, the headband, the high socks, and the knee pads. And, you know, watching him play, even in his regular uniform, he does look a little bit like uh, Jackie Moon. You know, he's got the curly afro, and then he's got the headband, um, and, you know, the same shooting form. But, hey, the pregame must have worked because Golden State, as I mentioned in our NBA segment, went on to win against the Clippers later on that night and not just win, but they beat them by like 15 points or something like that. And they ended their five game losing streak. So, you know, that's a good thing for golden state, you know, just talking seriously for a second, this could be big for golden state because, you know, when you've lost five straight, you get so down in the dumps thinking you can't do anything right. And then here comes a very funny comedian like Will Ferrell to live in the mood and just remember, Hey, this is just the game and we're here to have some fun. And sure enough, it worked. They beat the Clippers at home. They vended their streak, and who knows if they turn things around. But it's always great to see Will Ferrell get involved. You know, we've seen him get involved numerous times. We've seen him break out his Ron Burgundy at uh, curling events and during the U.S. Open at tennis. Uh, We saw him, you know, my favorite has to be when he was at uh, MLB Spring Training. He played basically every single position. Uh, during spring training games, you know, pitcher and stuff like that. And then he was even the third base coach uh, for the Cubs, and he had just a bunch of signs. So Will Ferrell's always a very – he's one of my favorite uh, comedic actors and comedians. He's he's very funny, and I always love when he gets involved in the sports world. So Will Ferrell, for dipping your toe once again into the sports world, this time bringing back Jackie Moon – to the Golden State Warriors has landed yourself into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that wraps it up once again for another edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast via YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Make sure, as always, you follow our social media pages, as I mentioned, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.